Well, today we're in the second week of a three-week series on church as a team sport, but it's really prepping us for a verse-by-verse study through the book of Ephesians. I'm going to launch on uh, September 10th, so I encourage you to come back for that. Uh, today we're going to focus on what it means, you know, to have uh, knowing the playbook and how we're going to unify together to, to run the, the right plays, in a sense, what is God calling the church to do. Next week we're going to talk about advancing to the goal, really the missions and evangelism efforts of the church. We're not just called to Jesus, we're called to take Jesus everywhere in the gospel message. But it was uh, recommended to us a a couple of weeks ago, since we kind of had a sports theme going, uh, that on the last Sunday of the 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 series that you would wear a jersey. Uh, So if you've got a sports team jersey, I don't care if it's hockey, I don't care if it's baseball, Little League, uh, and some of you said, I don't like sports. Okay, fine. Find your favorite school, wear your band camp t-shirt, whatever. Um, uh, find something that you can identify with that is a team type of thing, and, uh, and don't wear your t-shirt that says, I'm all by myself, and that's all I like it to be. Um, I know the pandemic was really good for introverts, but uh, I'm, uh, I'm a vocational extrovert. I'm a natural introvert, uh, but uh, we need each other. So just wear your jersey, whatever that may look like, uh, and that'll be helpful to us. Just promise me you won't make it a dividing uh, effort here. Uh, we can love one another, even though you may go to a different school or you come from a different place. We got a lot of people here today from all over the country. You know, some of these students come from Pennsylvania or they come from California. Uh, I met a young lady from Peru on uh, the other day. And so, I mean, people from all over the world really gather here at West Lynchburg. So we love one another uh, regardless of where we've come from. Well, today, as we focus on what it means to to be a unified team, knowing the playbook, I want to start this way. In business, one of the most uh, well-known consultants in business for for the last century uh, was Peter Drucker. Perhaps you've heard of him. But Peter Drucker would go into a business to consult with them, and he would ask them two questions to begin the conversation. What's your business? How's business? It's pretty simple. But a brilliant concept, what's your business? If they can't define it, they don't know what they're supposed to be doing, then they don't know how to evaluate how's it going. Uh, True story, there was a, uh, after 27 years, there was a business owner that had passed away, and his widow had to determine what to do. Should she sell the business, have someone else uh, run it, hire somebody, or should she run it herself? Well, up until that point, she had actually never uh, stepped foot in the business, The husband took care of everything, had many employees, they were very successful, but she knew nothing about what they did. But now she's the owner of the business and has to step in, and and so she she decided that she would actually go into a business meeting, call all the the high top managers, and she asked them uh, just a few questions. She said, what do we do? That's an important thing, and, and you know what, if, if you're encountering somebody brand new, doesn't know anything you're about, you should be able to define what you do. Then she said, well, what is working? What's not working? And then she asked even maybe a more pertinent question. Who is working and who's not working? As the, uh, the owner of the business, she needed to understand if we're going to be successful, if, if it's worth selling or, or worth running, you've got to know what you do, what's working, what's not working, who's working, and who is not working. Now, with the church, we are not pragmatist. In a sense, we just do whatever works. No, we look to the Scriptures, our playbook, our command, and we do what He's called us to do. Sometimes things work in a culture because people are, the Spirit is moving and people are being drawn uh, to, uh, uh, to the gospel and, and people are in unified uh, effort. 
And sometimes things aren't working, meaning the culture does not embrace who you are, what you're doing. And so churches are always tempted to go, well, do we abandon our calling based on Scripture to accommodate to the culture, or do we stand firm, courageously, and do what God has said, regardless if it's popular? What do we do as a church? We have to understand our purpose and how we're going to do this together. So the the series uh, uh, has been based on Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. Let me read this aloud for us. This is where I kind of get the concept. Church is a team sport. We're in this together. It says, rather speaking the truth in love, we, plural language, that means we're all held together, we're all connected, we must work together. We are to grow up. There's a big calling. We can't stay static. We can't just stay where we are. Uh, Many of you are in college today because you want to expand your knowledge. You want to make yourself uh, more vocationally uh, 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 commanding in a sense that you can get a job and do something well. You need to grow up. We have to grow up together in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. And verse 16, from whom the whole body, you see the plural language, all of us together have to be unified. We're not just individual parts, but we're parts that are put together, and you notice the language here, the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly and makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Key language here, plural language. We are called by Christ in our salvation, which is a personal thing, but it's not private. We're called to Jesus Christ for salvation so that we can know Him personally. But we're doing it publicly together because Christ doesn't just say, here is my individual. He says, here is my body. Christ died for the church. And if you're a part of Christ, you're a part of the church. The collective body, not the building, the collective body. Because God demonstrates His glory through His collective body, the church. And He accomplishes His purpose through the church. This is exciting to me because that means we're not by ourselves alone trying to figure it all out or or what do we do? Just wait till Jesus comes back. No, we unify together and grow up so that we would grow and be able to speak the truth in love. Talked about putting on a jersey last week, really means what it means to be a part of the body. Uh, How do you become uh, a member of the body of Christ? Uh, Today, we're going to speak about knowing the playbook, and it really is about unity, working together. Where are we going? What direction are we headed? How does the leadership structure work, and how do we uh, find our our place joined and held together so that when each part does its work properly, we're going to focus on that portion of the text? And then next week, as I said, advancing the goal. Our responsibility is to come together. Just right above Ephesians chapter 4 in verse 3, it says we need to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Down in verse 13 of Ephesians 4, until we all, we all, meaning no person is left behind. Every one of us need one another. If we see a brother or sister kind of falling behind, we go back and get them because until we all attain to the unity of the faith, we ought to be praying for and pursuing unity together. It's essential. 
We're, we're, we're not lone rangers just going on our own direction. We are all co- combined together to pray for and pursue unity together. And the knowledge of the Son of God to the mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. A divided team never accomplishes its purpose. So therefore, how do we unify better to accomplish the purpose God's called us to? I'm going to identify six things in Scripture that I think we we need to understand that unify a, a local body of Christ together. Six things. What unifies us as a team? Our first is our calling which really narrow it down to our salvation. Are we saved? That's the, the indicator that we're unified. We're on the same team. We're following the same Savior. Every one of us were born sinners separated from a holy God. And we're all saved by grace through faith in Christ. No one's getting to heaven because they're a good person or, or you made better grades or, or you, you have more trophies. You're all saved by grace Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 starts with the language, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That you're called to Christ, therefore from that, that's not the end of the process, that's the beginning of the process. Once we step foot into faith in Christ, then he, he helps us to walk in step with his Holy Spirit in the direction he desires for us to go. In Romans chapter 3 verse 24 We are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Question this morning I have for every one of you. I don't care how long you've sat in a church. I mean, you can sit at McDonald's all day. It does not make you a hamburger. And neither can you sit in a church all your life and say you're a Christian. How do you become a believer in Christ? You have to repent of your sins, meaning you have to turn it over and say, God, I need your grace. I need your, your forgiveness. I need you to save me because I'll never be good enough for you because I'm a sinful person. And God doesn't look at you and condemn you. No, he sent his son so that he would take your place. Jesus lived, died, and rose again so that you could be redeemed if you would just trust him. Turning it over. Repent means to change your mind, and it ultimately leads to changing of direction. Rather than saying, I can do it all myself, you just trust the Lord that he does it all for you, and he puts his Holy Spirit in you and helps you to walk in step with his plan. It's a gracious gift that he's given us. Have you received him? Do you trust in him? In Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, I'm going to allude to what I was speaking about last week in case you uh, uh, were not here. I think Matthew 4, 19 summarizes kind of what Jesus is calling us to. He says, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, surrender your life to me. I mean, connect me completely. Uh, Don't just think about me. No, walk and step with me, follow me, surrender your life, and let me be your Lord, your master, your savior, your friend, the one who will usher you into heaven upon your death. Follow me. I will make you. Don't try to clean yourself up prior to a relationship. Just follow me, and I'm going to clean you up. I'm going to give you a new direction, a, a new, uh, new purpose, because I'm going to not just walk with you and, and make you. I'm going to make you a part of my team that begins to reach other people just like you, separated from me. That if you've gone through the experience of being saved by grace, you might not have a, 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 you know, an MDiv in theology, What we do, you have what the blind man said, I was blind and now I see. That's what I know. I was lost and now I'm found. 
I, I, was, I was sinful, but now I've been forgiven. You take the simple gospel message with you. I'm going to make you fishers of men and women, of boys and girls all over the world that need to know Jesus. That's a beautiful thing. The way we say that three-step process of follow me, I'll make you fishers of men here at West Lynchburg is three different purposes we say. We say you're going to live like Jesus. You're going to love like Jesus. And you're going to lead like Jesus. Living like Jesus. When you're following Jesus, you begin to act the way he does. To, to pray like he does. You're going to live like Jesus. You're going to live as a worshiper. You're going to do everything according to God's plan because you're seeking God. Your will be done, not my will. Then I want to surrender my life to you. I'm going to live like Jesus. I'm following you and living as a worshiper like Jesus. You know, to love like Jesus. If you're following Jesus, you love him. So what about loving other people? Because that's not as, as easy. You know, everybody says, oh, I can just love everybody. And then you find somebody that's unlovable. I always love um, students that come to Liberty or, or Universal Lynchburg, and they've never had a roommate before. They didn't, see, that wasn't an option in my family. We have so many kids. I mean, there, there was one point we had five kids in one room. So they learned how to live with a roommate. But when they get into a situation, they've never had a roommate. Maybe they got one. Maybe they got two. And it's all cool. We're best friends over, like, the four, first 48 hours. And then stress in school begins to take place. And you're like, they're annoying. You call your mom, and oh, oh my goodness. Just awful. Well, how do you love your roommate? How do you love your teacher? How do you love those students down the hall that stay up till 2 a.m. in the morning and they won't shut up and go to bed? How do you love people that you work with that are annoying? If you're going to follow Jesus and live like him, guess what? You're going to grow a heart of love because Jesus even loved the worst of the worst, the woman at the well, the lepers that nobody wanted anything to do with. When you begin to love like Jesus, that's God shaping you. I'm making you into a God-type lover of other people. We don't love based on our standards. We love based on God's standards. And Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, even love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's hard to do, but when you're following Jesus and you're beginning to love like Jesus, your whole life and your whole perspective changes. And then it leads into that third section. You know, fishers of men, we call it lead like Jesus. Don't just get involved in people's life. The goal and the prayer is that you can lead them to Jesus. As Matthew was a tax collector, you know, most lovely person in society, right? A tax collector. Nobody loved the tax collector because usually they were cruel and evil and they overtaxed people. But when Matthew gave his life to Christ, he began to invite all of his tax collector friends to a party. Why? He wanted to lead them to the presence of Jesus. If they can interact with Jesus like I've interacted with Jesus, it'll all change. You know, Zacchaeus, who climbed up a little sycamore tree, what did he do? He invited the party of all the sinners that he knew, the people he hung out with. Why? Because he wanted them to meet Jesus. If we're following Jesus and we're loving like Jesus, guess what? We're going to introduce our friends and our neighbors and our enemies to Jesus because only Jesus can change them. But will we love them enough to take them the gospel? We pray for people. We, we introduce them to Jesus. We share. Don't just live out the gospel. You need to say it as well. And so uh, this is a primary calling, our salvation and our uh, continuation of sharing that gospel. That begins to unify us as a team. If you desire to sit, soak, and sour in a church, there are some other churches that are welcoming to you today. But if you want to sit, soak it up, and then begin to express it out because God has transformed your life and wants to change other people's life, you are at the right place.
talked to a pastor yesterday at an event, and I'd never met him before, and he, uh, he had heard of, of West Lynchburg, and so we began to talk, and, and he says, I don't know how you get people moving. I said, well, what do you tell them on Sunday? Do you say that, that Sunday is the gathering for Christians the rest of the week have fun, or do you tell people, hey, this is the gathering for Christians, and this is really the huddle? Thinking back to my sports language, this is the huddle, and we're about to run the play for the next six days. As you go, Grocery store, school, you know, go to Starbucks, you know, wherever. Are you living out the gospel? Are you sharing the gospel? Because the, the life of Christianity is not within this hour, though this is, uh, is a fantastic time that we, we, we're together to synergize our passion for Christ. But really, our Christian life is to be lived out daily, moment by moment, everywhere we go. I said, stop trying to make it a come and see. We come and celebrate, and then we go and tell. That's our calling. That's our, 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 our salvation exploded. Let me, let me get to the second one. I always take way too much time on the first one. That's right. We're here till one, I think. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I was just kidding. All right, here we go. Our convictions. Church connection, if you connect to Christ, then you, can, you have convictions as you gather with a local body of, of believers. What are your convictions? Uh, going back to Jude chapter, th- uh, chapter 1, there's only one chapter in Jude, but verse 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I love to talk about our common salvation. He says, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered, uh, once for all delivered to the saints. Every one of us were saved by faith. So that's, that's an individual connection to Christ based on our faith. When it speaks about faith here, contending for the faith, that's a set core doctrines. The things the apostles taught the, throughout the scriptures, the, the truth and the evidence here, we contend for the faith so that every generation doesn't try to tweak the faith to accommodate to their desires. We have to contend for the faith. So what is our, our, our convictions here? Our salvation leads, or our faith leads to salvation, but our faith is what sets our beliefs. Every religious body holds to a standard set of beliefs. I was fairly impressed with the, the level and quality of students who stopped by our table on Friday at Liberty. Some of them were just saying, hey, do you, you have a bus, great, I'll pick you up, you know, that'd be great. Some of them said, well, what does your church believe? One individual came up and says, what's your doctrinal statement? Wow. You know, actually, in the three years I've been here, I've not been asked that question from a Liberty student, so that was great. I said what our doctrinal uh, uh, statement is. Certainly, we have lots of doctrines, but if he could narrow it down to, to certain statements, then he would know uh, exactly where we believe. And if he believes something different, he go, okay, that's not the church for me. It doesn't matter how nice you are. It doesn't matter how great the food is down the cafe. It doesn't matter that you have a bus. If I don't hold to the set faith, belief, doctrines that you do, then I wouldn't feel comfortable. One young lady, though, was at her table, and, and uh, I introduced myself, and she, I'm not really looking for church. I belong to another uh, type of uh, church. I said, oh, well, great, you know, well, great. I hope you can find one here, but let me tell you what we believe in. And uh, began to interact, and, and she said, I think I'm going to come on Sunday. I went to a church kind of like what, you know, you're called Baptist, you know, I went to a church, and, and she was just describing something. She heard the message that was way off, and when she said it, I said, yeah, that's pretty way off. Uh, that's not in our doctrinal statement. Um, and so, just what do we believe? What you believe matters. We're not just a social gathering here. We're, we're a body of, of Christ that holds to certain beliefs that we find in the Scripture. 
The problem with some churches, and, and, and we can fall into the same trap, is that we, we, we hold to the beliefs of the Bible, but then sometimes we have our preferences that we add on to as standards for living. This is what the Pharisees did. The Old Testament was clear. The Old Testament uh, uh, you know, had been written, contained, and then the Pharisees came along in the New Testament time period, and they began to add their own preferences and, 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 and doctrinal statements that had nothing to do with God, what God had revealed. So therefore, it was turning people away. That happens in churches today. This is what the Bible says, but then this, oh, we like this, and we believe you have to do this, and you have to believe this, and you have to do this, and, and if not, you know, then you don't fit here. And thinking, anytime you add to or you take away from the revealed Word of God, you're standing in judgment of God. Have you read that in Revelation anywhere? Never add to. Never take away from. We stand, our belief is the Bible. And then what we believe about the Bible, we try to, to write in our statements so that it's very clear that you can hold to. That's what unites us moving forward. Our doctrinal statement that we hold to, just uh, in case you are interested and would like to look this up, it's on the, on the uh, website, is the Baptist Faith and Message, uh, the version from 2000, which will probably be updated here in the next uh, year or so, but that's where we are. If you want to read just our basic doctrinal statement. Third thing we need to understand is our commitment. You join a church because you, you trust in Christ. You, you're part of a church because of the commitment of the, of the doctrinal uh, statements. But you have to be a commitment, a commitment to the church, the people that you sit in relationship with. What is our uh, commitment? It's our covenant. I don't know if you uh, have gone to a church that has a covenant. We have a covenant, a promise. Most churches have a covenant. This is what I've learned in a lot of churches, uh, especially when I would do some consulting down in Atlanta. What's your church covenant? And they go, what's that? Well, pull out your bylaws, your, your statement of faith, you know, and your, your covenant, and we'd find it, and we'd have to dust it off, and it'd be like 15 paragraphs long, and they go, oh, I've never seen that before. And uh, we'd read through it, and I said, well, the, a covenant is a promise you're making to one another as a part of the church. They go, oh, wow, we're making promises we didn't even know. It's kind of like, a, you know, if you've been married, you, you made a covenant with one another, you know, and a covenant is different than a contract. A, co- a contract is made to be broken, but a covenant in marriage is meant to be uh, held together. I commit this to you. And then, you know, then the, the other uh, person that's getting married will say, well, I'm committing this to you. And we say, I do, and all those things. A covenant is so important. I believe that's true in church life. What are we coveting together? It's why we have membership, partnership together. We're promising something together. I put our covenant in the document here that if you have a handout today, uh, otherwise you can just look on the website where our covenant is. But if you consider what the Bible says about our, our, the church and the commitment we make to one another, it describes the church as a family. So there's an understanding when you're a family what that commitment is. Uh, it talks about the bride. It talks about the branches on a vine, how they're connected. Uh, scripture talks about a field of crops. It talks about a harvest. It talks about a group of priests, uh, a building, a body. All that language describe the body together, the, the church together. And each of these represent a connection and a commitment to one another. Nobody wants to get married without a commitment. Could you imagine standing there at a wedding and listening to the bride and groom stand there and says, do you commit to one another? They go, no, but we're going to have a good day today. We'll see if we last the week, it'll be all right. Or what if the husband, you know, the groom, I should say, he's about to get married and says, I'm committed to be faithful 70% of the time. 
I mean, that's pretty good odds. There, there's no, no, no bride that's going to say, well, that just sounds wonderful. Could we work up a negotiated deal maybe 90% of the time? You know, nine days out of ten, you'd be faithful. No, nobody can commits or covenants without full commitment. That's what a church is about. Doesn't mean everybody's perfect. But look at the commitments that we're, we're, we're making to one another at West Lynchburg. And, and once again, a commitment's not about joining an organization. It's about partnering with a people on mission under the direction of our Lord. Our church covenant says this. We, we have three basic statements that we say, live as a worshiper, love as a community, lead as a servant. Well, how do we live as a worshiper? By walking with God personally through Scripture and prayer. That's an expectation that I, you should have of me and I should have of you as a member of West Lynchburg, that we are coveting together. We want to walk with God personally. What you do at home is just as important as what you do here on Sunday. And then we ought to also come together and worship God corporately with the church. That's an expectation. If you're a part of a church, don't just get your name on the roll and stay home all the time. You're committing to the church so that you can be with the church. I mean, once again, bride and groom sitting up there and a wife says, hey, I'm going to be home three nights a week. I'll connect with you. Don't call me on the other four days or don't track me on Life 360. You know, I'll be there when I can be there, but don't, don't worry if I'm not around anymore. Well, what kind of commitment is that? Same thing as a church. You know, uh, do you get demerit points if you don't show up on Sunday? No, come on. But you know what? You're missing out on something. If you're part of the family, we want you here. You, and if you're not here, we ought to be calling one another. How's things going? Maybe you're on a trip at the beach. That's wonderful. Maybe you're sick. Do you need us to bring food to you? You know, maybe you're, you lost your job and you're depressed and you didn't tell anybody. But if we are a family together, we ought to love one another and corporately worship together. And if we're not here, we ought to notice and care for one another enough to be involved in each other's lives. If you want to be anonymous at a church, this is not the church for you. If this is your first time here, I guarantee you've already been talked to about ten times since you sat, uh, before you sat down. We have some of the most friendly people. But as I tell our people, don't just be a friendly church. Be friends with people in the church. We're looking for friends, not just friendliness. And then giving God cheerfully and regularly through the church. We all contribute financially and with our time and efforts uh, through as, uh, as we live as a worshiper. Love as a community. Let me just walk through these quickly. We encourage the people of the church. Why are we here? To encourage one another, to build each other up. Uh, to spur one another on to love and good deeds. We also take a position of serving the ministry of the church, whatever that may look like in, in your gifting and, and being a part of things. Uh, and we also protect the unity of the church because the unity is what drives us forward. When we find something that's out of line, we ought to work on that to fix it. We can't ignore issues within the church. We want to bring unity within the church. No gossip, uh, no misdirection in trying to confuse things. That's the author of, of confusion is the devil, not Christ. And then we lead as a servant. Where do we lead as a servant? You see what it says on the paper. By establishing the gospel in the household. Whatever your household looks like. Whether it's an individual, or a couple, a retired couple. You've got children in the home. You've got roommates. Establish the gospel there. Are you reading the scripture and praying for one another that live in the home? That's essential to bring unity in the home. Which, by the way, and I've said this before, Tim and I have talked about it, our family pastor, 95% of children will never, never rise above the faith of their parents. I'm going to say that again so you can capture that. 95% of children will never rise above the faith of their parents. If their faiths, uh, the faith of their parents is low, even though the kids, while they're in school, you know, middle school, high school, may rise above the faith for a while, over the time period of life, they'll just become like their parents. Their level of commitment will be like their parents or less. 
So that's why it's essential not to just reach children and family, or children and students. We've got to reach families and help the parents rise their level of faith, trust, involvement, so that over time they'll become greater of leaders of their children. It's essential. I don't care how involved the kid is at, at, at the youth ministry, most of them will not be attending church five to ten years after they graduate from high school. And a lot of times it's because their parents aren't. And I'll just go ahead and put the, the, the pressure on, on the dads. The dad sets the tone greater than the mom. Uh, it's statistically, that's it. Moms are there every Sunday. They're, they're worshiping. Dad doesn't come. And eventually that, that son or daughter goes, I'll just become like dad. It's easier. So we've got to be praying and, and establishing the gospel in every household. We've got to share the gospel in the community, neighbors, friends, everywhere we go. And we've got to spread the gospel around the world. Which We have partnerships in our church around the world. And we're even looking at some additional ones. So that's our, our covenant. That's our commitment to one another. That's what West Lynchburg is about. And I, I'm thankful that we can remind ourselves of this. The fifth uh, or the fourth area that uh, I say we've got to uh, understand in unifying us is our commission. Our commission is to make disciples, to go and lead people to Christ, to, to sit down with them and help them grow up uh, in the faith. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. And that which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Every one of us have a calling not only to follow Christ, but to help others grow up in Christ. You ought to have three kind of people in your life. Somebody ahead of you that speaks into your life. I don't care how old you are, how experienced you are, how long you've been a Christian. Find somebody a little farther down the road to speak into your life. Find somebody who can walk alongside you like a Barnabas and Paul for a season. They walked along encouraging one another, but they're basically in the same pattern right there. And then you need to turn around and find out who is behind you in their faith journey that you can step back a moment and help them along. Some of you say, well, I don't know very much. Great. Do you know just a little more than they do that you can help them along? When you have somebody pouring into you, and you have somebody you're pouring into, that is the beauty of the church and what Jesus established. We'd make a lot more disciples when we'd be willing to spend a little time uh, humbly learning from somebody, but also um, passionately pouring into somebody, just taking them for coffee, sit down and, and listen uh, to their issues, uh, pray for them. In a relay race, there's a baton. The first runner of the leg, they just they run, 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 and then they pass the baton. The next person runs and runs and runs, and they pass the baton. They, the, the third one takes the baton and runs and runs and runs, and finally they get to the fourth leg of the race, and that person takes the baton. Most races in a relay race are, are lost in the passing of the baton. They don't make the connection. They drop the baton, or are there ones running ahead without grabbing the baton clearly and, and, and convictingly. And that happens in every generation in the church. We have a baton that's been passed to us. We, we have the faith. We, we have the direction. Are we looking for people to pass it to? Or are we just going to die with it ourselves and take it to the grave? Don't let the next generation uh, lose track of the, the, the advancement of the gospel because we failed to pass the baton. It's our commission. Fifth thing, quickly, is our character. Who are we? What unifies us are the things we've listed so far, but also our character, who really we are. Yesterday was the 60th anniversary of Martin Luther King's speech in, in the March on Washington. In his speech, uh, I have a dream. Certainly, I, I, even uh, some of you were alive when that happened. 
And, and some of you have only heard about it or watched it on, on videos. An incredible speech, an incredible gathering of people. Yesterday on the 60th anniversary, there was something in Washington, D.C. There was also a local uh, demonstration for that right out here outside of our parking lot uh, on Oakley, um, all the way down to Providence International Church down the street. Uh, Our family participated, uh, connected with uh, uh, Dr. Um, James Coleman, uh, who's the pastor of the church down the street, and they had local leaders, the mayor and and, uh, city council members, and a large gathering of folks who came and and marched a short distance just to remind ourselves of the connection and the community and the advancement that all men are uh, created equal. I was proud to be invited to that event. I led the invocation uh, to begin that event. But someone was uh, uh, reenacting that speech, not the entirety of the speech, but they took out portions, and someone stood up at, like Martin Luther King did on that day. And we actually had two, two men at the, in, the, uh, in the congregation uh, yesterday who were there. They were 14, 15, 16 years old at the time, and they heard Martin Luther King uh, say his speech live. That would just have been amazing. But a portion of that speech that you're probably familiar with, I wanted to, to, to read to us today. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. He got it right. That ought to be the church as well. We're not judged by the color of our skin, our economic status, our background, or even the sin that we have carried, but we've been forgiven by Christ and they were judged by the, uh, the content of our character. Our character is who we are. John Wooden, the great basketball coach of UCLA uh, Bruins, said this. He said, be more concerned with your character than your reputation. Your character is what you really are, while your reputation is merely what others think you are. Some people are worried about their reputation, but not their character. They fake it. They put a smile on, but that's not who they are. Paul said of of Timothy in Philippians chapter 2, he said, but you know Timothy's proven worth or proven character, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. How was your character today? You can fake it for a while, but you need to work on who you are based on Christ. Last one is our competence, what we do. We must discover develop and deploy the gifts that God has given us if we're going to ever work together for the the fulfillment of the gospel in the community and everywhere else. We all have at least one gift that we can contribute for the benefit of the whole. Based on our character and our competence, God places us in appropriate roles in and for the church. Our leadership structure here is this. We have elders We have deacons, we have members of the congregation who serve in various roles. We're elder-led, deacon-served, and congregationally affirmed. Elders are shepherds of the church. They pray for the church. They they teach. They have to have character and confidence according to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Deacons serve. They're diakonos, servants. The word is used over 100 times in the New Testament, translated as servant or minister. That they're, they're here to take care of the physical aspects of the church and whatever that may be in the, the lives of our people. And then congregationally affirmed, where we resolve conflict in biblical ways, that we, we recognize our responsibility to, to hold all of us accountable. We practice all the one another's in the church from the scriptures. We serve with, from love for the Lord in our gifting. How does our church function? 
We don't just hire a bunch of staff to do everything. No, our staff are, are hired to equip the believers to do the work of ministry that it takes to love one another. Perhaps you're sitting there and you're like, well, we, we had a choir today and, and, uh, and our, we normally have a praise team. And you have gifts in that area and you would like to serve in that area. That brings glory to God. See Tad for that. Play an instrument. Work on the tech team. I appreciate the tech team back there. Nobody knows we have a tech team until the tech isn't working. Thank you for serving. If you would love to serve on the tech team, you know some things, or you don't know anything and you'd like to try, meaning they'll train you and help you. Because not only do people in this room need a good tech team, people at home watching online, whether live or later, need to know, uh, we need to know that they can hear well and they can hear what's happening here and be a part of us. Maybe you want to be a greeter. Maybe you want to serve a ch- preschool, children's, or, or, or student ministry. Maybe you want to connect with CJ and our evangelism outreach efforts throughout our community. If you want to be interested or you want to learn about more of those things, you can scan the QR code and go down to where it says serve, or you can just write on your envelope and put it in the bag in a little bit. I'm interested in serving in this ministry. I'd like more information about this particular opportunity. Because not only do we have community groups where we love one another and study the Scriptures, we have groups that serve one another and serve the community together, and you should be a part of one of those. It was Henry Ford a Ford Motor Company, who said, coming together is a beginning. Keeping together is progress, but working together is success. I'll attach that to the church. We can all come together. That's fun. We'll have, you know, food this afternoon. We have different activities. We can be together. That's good. Coming together is, is the beginning, but keeping together, that's progress. When we can learn to love one another, but when we start working together, when we start seeing God bless in tremendous ways with the, the various gifts and skills that are provided in this room, then we'll see the glory of God in such an amazing way. In the Scripture, there's, there's a word that talks about uh, fellow workers and, and working together. And uh, the Greek word is synagos, or uh, syner, uh, yeah, synergos, which we get our word synergy our synergos, fellow worker, fellow worker, fellow worker in the Scriptures throughout it, and synergos, uh, that we are fellow synergoses together. See, working together is not merely sociological, it's theological, workers of gospel unity. This Greek word uh, that we, we now speak of is synergy, and synergy is the, interactive, uh, uh, the interaction of multiple parts producing a greater effect than the sum of the individual parts. The contribution is not one plus one equals two, it's one plus one might equal four, or two plus two equals 25. That's what synergy does. Let me give you a, a real-life example of how uh, this was discovered. In, 19, or in 1885, they had the World Series, not of baseball, but of mule team competitions. You could tell they didn't have television in their day. What are we going to do? Well, this weekend, let's have a mule team competition. This will be fun, and we'll work our, our, our regionals up to the nationals until we get a World Series of mule team uh, competition. Well, this mule team uh, was, uh, competition, this World Series in 1885, was in Chicago, Illinois. Anybody up from Chicago? Or anybody? Yep, got a Chicago? Yeah, got a few around here. Um, and so um, they had uh, the winning team that particular year pulled 9,000 pounds. The second place team pulled just slightly less. 
So when they, they put the two teams together, they were assuming, let's take t- team number one, team number two, and let's put them together. And, and 9,000 and maybe almost 9,000, what will we get? We'll probably get 18,000 pounds pulled. They didn't pull 18,000 pounds. They pulled 30,000 pounds. Two teams individually that could only get up to about 9,000 apiece pulled 30,000 uh, pounds together. Well, Ed Stiles was there, and he, he'd been working with the borax deposits in Death Valley, California, and he looked at that concept, and he said, you know, if we added mules, uh, additional mules to our team, how could we get maximum impact? He discovered that, that 12 mules were better than 8, but 20 mules was the optimal number to, to pull and to get the borax deposits out. And this became widely known as the 20-mule team borax. You can still buy that today in a box. How many of you have heard of 20-mule team borax? Because there's something that when we work independently, we get these results. When we work with a few, we get other results. But when we combine the efforts, it's multiplied because God's synergy is working through it. How important is that for us to learn Our goal as a church is to come together as fellow workers to see a multiplied effect of the gospel impact within the walls and throughout the world. 